0: Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast and today I'm hosting a special roundtable on how to make a short film with filmmakers Steve Wise and Kevin Almodovar, both who were huge and invaluable help for me in making my film, The Parker Syndrome, a reality. We go through the entire process of making a short film, things to look out for in pre-production, having a backup plan for your shoot in case something goes wrong, the importance of networking in your film community things they've learned from their past experiences, and, of course, a couple of funny on-set stories. This was a really fun chat. It was one I was looking forward to having for a while, ever since I planned it. Uh, Both, like I said, have been a huge help to me. I always learn something new from them every time I talk with them. If you're an aspiring filmmaker, you'll definitely love this roundtable. So, without further ado, here is the Short Film Roundtable with Steve and Kevin. So I'm really excited to do this uh, special episode of this podcast. We're going to be talking about how to make a short film. And my two special guests this week are sitting across from me, the director of Servi, Mr. Steve Wise. How are you, sir? Hey, Derek. How you doing? Doing good. I think this is the... As the day we're recording this, this is the last day of our little media <laughs> tour that we've been doing. We did a podcast on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. We went to the Filmmakers Meet and Greet on Thursday. We were on the radio Friday, and now... Now you're here, so.
1: Yeah, so it, it feels like a, a media junket. <laughs> it it kind
0: of does, like the publicity tour continues. And also, uh, sitting to my left, kind of known for being director of photography for you know, several films in the for area. For everyone. All of the films, <laughs> uh, including, Steve, your film, "Survey" and my film, yes. Parker Syndrome, and Mr. Kevin Almodovar. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you yeah, for having me. Absolutely. So uh, before we really get into the process of, how to make a short film? What are some of your backgrounds like? What was it that made you want to work in film? And we'll we'll start with you, Steve.
1: Um, well, basically, I've my entire life I've been wanting to make films. Um, I had my first taste of it when I was eight years old, and a friend of mine, my best friend actually, who lived across the street from me, called me up and said, "Hey, you want to make a movie?" And it turns out his older brother, who was a teenager at the time, uh, was doing a full film on Super 8 and needed help (laughs) from basically all the neighborhood kids. And so I went over there and we did this little short film and then we just continued making movies and uh, I fell in love with it. Uh, I have been a fan of movies forever and just um, that's what I've been wanting to do forever for my entire life.
2: For me, really, um, I've always been interested, but never, I, you know, I thought it was like, man, this is too much work, because when I was growing up, it was film, and uh, there didn't seem to be an easy way to get into it, and to be honest, the first time I ever bought a camera was back in 2007, and uh, it was my first uh, camera, it was a HDV camera, and, and then, of course, that was kind of when things really started getting hot with technology, and, and pretty much everybody had a uh, editing platform. But uh, really, it was the entre- entrepreneur in me that basically I had this camera that was a little too pricey for family videos, and I just decided, hmm, can I make money doing this? And so I got into the uh, commercial side of things. And then, of course, you know, when you start getting involved with those people, you start realizing, oh, there's a there's a, a narrative, creative aspect to this that uh, that could uh, fulfill my creative and my you know give me a little bit more freedom than the commercial side of things. And so, uh, got involved with the PSA, the Production Services Association group, and some uh, people here in Pensacola. That uh, you know, Carrie Hunter, who started uh, the Emerald Coast Film Group, was one of the founders. And um, I think that was the first short film that I shot was a uh, a short film that she directed. And from then on, it's just been—I mean, it's it's been awesome. It, it's it's to me, it's fun. It's different than the commercial aspect. It's still a lot of hard work, but it gives you a little bit more creative freedom. Uh, It's a little bit more relaxed environment and you're not under a pressure cooker, uh, so to speak, because obviously you still have timelines and and deadlines that you have to meet and so forth for short films, depending on the format. But uh, it is a more relaxed environment and I think a lot more fun.
1: Yeah. Technology certainly has changed. And (laughs) I mean, it's just constantly uh, changing. I've kind of, Was able to watch it go from film. Uh, I mean, I learned how to shoot in film school uh, on 16 millimeter. And we also, the video that we used was super VHS and learned how to shoot on like beta SP and three quarter inch tape. And then got into digital editing and digital cinematography and now high def. And I'm very happy where technology (laughs) is right now.
0: (laughs) I can't imagine editing with film. Oh, it, it was,
1: it's an interesting animal because you have to physically cut the film and physically tape it back together again, and so you have this big reel of pieces of plastic that are all taped together, and in order to get a final product, you have to send the work print into a lab with the negative and there are printed numbers along the side there and lab technicians have to then take it into a clean room and physically cut the negative and match the edit that you did on a huge flat top editing bay and it's (laughs) nerve-wracking
0: i've done old school like photo developing like in Mm a lab but never anything with your film for like movies so that that's it sounds like an interesting process for sure. Oh, oh, it is,
1: but it's very, very time consuming and you have to have attention to detail. It's very easy, for instance, to get your film out of sync. And so the sound is a frame or two off from the picture. Video editing, you know, when you're, when you're editing on a computer, it's possible to do that, but it's very easy to just get it back in sync. Yeah. <laughs> and now editing is very quick and it just it's accessible to so many people. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, especially, you know, because I've been using Adobe Premiere for, I think, now since 2011, 2012, maybe. And it's interesting learning all the little tricks, and it's still tricks that I am learning to make the workflow a lot easier. You know, with me editing the Parker Syndrome, you even introduced me to a couple of things. It was Mm -hmm. like, wow, if I had known that, this would have gone a whole lot quicker than it actually did.
1: I think I still have the discs for the second version of Premiere before Adobe
0: even purchased it. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Uh, So let's go through making a short film. So someone comes up to you and says, hey, I want to make a short film, or I just want to make a film in general. What is the first thing that they should do?
1: Uh, Have a good story. Come up with a story that is unique, that's entertaining, and is within reach of being able to be produced.
2: For me, the biggest thing is be prepared to do a lot of work. Uh, I think... uh the misconception with our industry is that, um, that there's not a lot of work involved. Uh, they see the end product, they see the two hour movie or the 32nd commercial. That's great. And so they have this misconception that, you know, we're just going to go out and shoot this thing and it'll be great. And, um, it takes a lot of work and it doesn't matter who it is that's successful in the industry. Um, Steven Spielberg, J.J. Abrams, uh, Fincher, all those guys, incredibly, incredibly talented. Obviously, they've had success, but I can tell you with absolute certainty, they're hard workers, and they put in a lot of hours. So it really, you know, it starts with a good story, but be prepared because the magic happens in pre-production, and if, uh, you know, if if you do everything you're supposed to do, You'll, you'll end up with a nice product.
1: Yeah, the prep work, uh, you know, take the time to, to do the proper prep. That would be my big advice to anybody who's trying to get started. The production end of things is the glamorous part. That's when the magic happens, so to speak. But if you don't do the proper preparation, that's all going to fall apart and you're going to have a, possibly have a very difficult time on your hands.
2: It's tedious. I always say, I always tell my interns, I say, you know, you'll ask ten friends to to help you shoot it and they all want to show up and run the camera and get into the microphone and do the clapper and all that. They're all excited about it. But ask ten of them to help you in pre-production and good luck.
0: They don't return your calls. No, no. <laughs> that in post, the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's it's also I think surrounding yourself with people who can help you. And that I think is something that, you know, we have in this area are people who are willing to help out and put in the work you know like you two helped me out tremendously you know with with my projects i remember writing the first draft of the script and i sent it to you steve and said how can i make this better and knowing your background and working with you before i knew that you would give me the proper advising you know you need to work on this you know a b and c and then from there i i think i lost count of how many times i went over to your house and Mm -hmm. You know, just went through like setting up the schedule. Oh, I and... think I
1: have that listed somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> keeping, keeping track of all that.
0: <laughs> So, sticking with the, the pre production side of things, there's also casting. And I know that's something that we talked about on Bill's podcast is that, you know, it kind of varies on the project, you know, depending on your needs, like as far as what type of characters you need. Do they need to have a certain amount of, of interaction? Not interaction, but certain chemistry. Um, and also, you know, finding the right crew and everything. So what's been your guys' experiences with, you know, like casting and finding proper crew for what your specific needs are?
2: I, I want to address something really quick about the script. And, mm-hmm. I, and don't, yeah. don't quote me on this because I, th- I think it was Mark Twain that said great stories aren't written. They're rewritten. Mm-hmm. And so scripts are, it's like woodworking. You just don't chip away at wood and just leave it like that. There's, you know, the sanding and, and gluing and painting or staining whatever. And a script is very much in the same way. It's like you just don't write one draft and let's go shoot it. It needs to be refined. And so you need to put it in front of as many eyes as possible to get feedback. And when you start hearing kind of the same thing from different people, it's, it's a good time to kind of reflect and go, maybe I need to change this because I'm not communicating what I want. Mm-hmm. And, um, sometimes when we write stuff, we're in it. So we understand it all. And we don't realize when things aren't coming across the way they're supposed to be, uh, you know, coming across as you want them to. So, and there's a lot of, um, one of the things I love, uh, save the cat. I think it's by Blake Snyder It's a great yes. book on script writing and uh the resources are out there i mean this wasn't when i was a kid you know you had encyclopedia britannica if it wasn't in there you just went outside and played and just forgot about it you know now you have all this information at your fingertips so um you know i encourage anybody to just get out there and read watch videos uh whatever you can these resources why reinvent the wheel you know it's already out there these uh, story arcs and how to make these scripts that work as far as casting and crew, it really, you know, we do have some resources here in the local area. We have the PSA Production Services Association. We have the Emerald Coast Film Group, which are on Facebook. They're large groups, especially the Emerald Coast Film Group. You got over three thousand members now, and I think, I think a lot of the people on there uh, share the same passion. So uh, I know that some people may have uh, more difficult time finding cast and crew than others. But it really, it comes down to the work that I was telling you that that needs to be done is if you persevere and you, you cast the right people and get the right crew. And again, it's understanding the parts that they play and the experience that they have. Because if you bring in 10 people and that's your crew and none of them have ever done it before, well, you'll get it done. And that's great. It'll be a, a heck of an accomplishment. But there, there's going to be some things missing. And it's going to be a very difficult experience simply because that inexperience is there. And I think those two groups have enough experienced people who feel passionate enough about volunteering their time to help uh, people out who want to make a film. That if, uh, if you show that you're willing to do the work, for me, when somebody asks me uh, to shoot a film, there's certain things that I ask and certain things that I do to test that person. And, and I do these things to see if they're willing to put in the work. Because one of the requirements that I have is like, don't be disorganized because you'll be wasting my time. And the least that you can do is show me that you're going to put in just as much work as I am. If I'm, if the director of photography is working harder than the director, something is wrong. So those are the things that I usually go through to see if they're serious about it. And um, um, Daphne Lewis, she came to me, wanted to shoot a, a short film. We're still trying to work it out because it's on my birthday weekend now because the hurricane kind of threw things out of whack and, and we're, we're kind of going back and forth on that. But uh, I, I was so impressed because she showed up to a PSA meeting and she had a, a notebook about two inches thick with storyboards and, I mean, all the stuff that she did to prepare. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, like she's serious about this. She really wants to make this short film. She's put in a lot of work before she came to me and I'm like, yeah, I'll do it for you. So those are the things really that, uh, that you need to show people, uh, is that you're serious about it. I tell my interns, you know, when you, uh, send out contracts, forms, call sheets, things like that, people start, it it becomes real to them. It's like, wow, this person is putting a lot of work. I I better not flake out. I better not say I'm going to do something and not be there. So it really comes down to leadership. If you're going to be a director, put in the hard work and everybody else will follow you.
1: And let me address also, as far as um, talking about the Emerald Film Group, there's something that took me a long time to learn because I'm not, even though I talk a lot, I'm not a natural um, party goer, if you will. And so the word networking was kind of um, taboo for me for, for the longest time. It's something I'm still having to kind of force myself to approach people and say, hi, I'm Steve Wise, and I'm a filmmaker, and who are you, and what do you do? Um, Schmoozing is not something that comes natural to me. So, for But that's something that's really very important in this industry is to get out and meet people. And, you know, the term networking doesn't have to be superficial. It doesn't have to be, hey, I'm trying to sell myself on you, But it's just a matter of, you know, go to the the Amarco's film group meetings, go to the PSA meetings, you know, go get online, start interacting with people, get your name out there, get your face out there and get people to know you. Because then you can start meeting people that might share that vision and share the passion that you have. And, you know, if if they have a project that they, they need help on, volunteer your time, because if you're helping someone else out, they're going to be willing to help you out.
0: Yeah.
2: And, and to reinforce that thought, Steve, one of the things that I try to do is when somebody helps me out on my projects, I do my best to try and help them out on their projects and two things are going to happen. If you show up to set to help me out, I don't even know you either. I'm going to be there for you when you need help with a project or if you really impress me, I'm going to put you to work. And so I like Joseph Klingman. He was one of those guys. He showed it wasn't even my project, but he showed up to help me out or help this project out. And he was in the grip department, and he was just hustling and learning fast. And I said, "Wow, this this kid like he's he would be a good crew member." I,
1: I, I can verify that he's a, a great person, <laughs> great worker. Yeah, and
2: and so I've actually put him to work on quite a few shoots. He was with me on this. Uh, I just got off a three day shoot with the Navy, and that's one of the shoots that I recommended him on, and uh, he gripped. So he's actually um, getting some work now, and um, and just, you know, if, if you shine on set, whether it's paid or not, it, it'll it pay off, because people will notice you, and they'll say, hey, I want that guy on my crew whenever I have this paid gig.
0: Well, and to go off on what you were just saying, and I, I tell people that even if you go on set as a PA, and you're not, I mean, you're doing, you know, what you're asked to do, but you can learn so much just by watching other people like watching you know what you do with shooting with watching you know what the grips do and everything like it's it's always been a very fascinating process to me because i'm i'm not a sociable person by any means but my favorite thing about making a film is the collaborative effort with people from different backgrounds you know different possibly different beliefs and all that stuff but they all come together for one common goal and I think that's awesome and I, I think you know the the networking like going to the meeting greets going to the meetings is is so important because in this area that's how you get on local projects around here that's how you meet people who you know it's how I think I met you originally Steve was at one of the meeting greets right before the first Pensacon, mm-hmm. and look what that turned into I'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it,
2: it truly is collaborative. It is, you know, I always have a saying that says, no great film was done by one. And the bottom line is that uh, not everybody is a social butterfly, and, and obviously we all have our, our anxieties about that, but the bottom line is that you kind of have to get out there and you have to shake hands and you have to meet people. It's, uh, it's really tough to uh, get people to get on board a project without that face-to-face. And like you said, it's volunteering uh, on passion projects where they can start kind of gaining a little bit of knowledge of what does it take? You know, oh, I got a call sheet. I got to be here a certain time. It takes this much time to set up. It's not just going and shoot. We got to light it. We got, you know, gear. We got set design. We got sound. We have, you know, talent. And it really is a truly collaborative effort. To me, it's, it's like a ballet and all the pieces have to move, you know, in sync for it to work. And uh, if one of those pieces isn't in sync, it can really cause some problems for the project.
1: And, you know, the filmmaking community is not huge. And in, in particular, along the Emerald Coast here, it, it's a very small, tight knit community. And you get to where if you don't know people, you know people who know them, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had a laugh last night. I stopped by a film set that was uh, being. That uh, was going on, and you know, a couple people that I know that were, were doing a little short film. So I just stopped by just to say hi and see how things were going. And um, one of the crew members came up to me and introduced himself. And I said, Hi, hey, I'm, I'm Steve. And I said, You know, introduced Steve Wise. And he looked at me and said, Oh, you're Steve Wise? I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're a local celebrity. <laughs> Can I get your autograph? <laughs> right. So, I mean, obviously, he knew me from. Posting on the Emerald Coast Film Group, or had heard about you know me through other people. Um, it's not that hard to get your name out there among this community, so do it.
2: And it's grown. It's grown a lot from uh, when I first started. It was really small, and obviously when I first started, Facebook was just kind of gaining traction. It wasn't what it is uh, today. So we've actually had a lot of people that we didn't know existed. And now we're being connected with those people. And production has grown. I mean, yes. if you, you talk about Vivid Bridge here in Pensacola and Calliope Films, you know, Krista Dalla. Um, they're doing some phenomenal work. And they're they're actually getting some of the work locally that I used to work on from productions that were coming in from out of town. And, and that was always, that always sat really bad with me that I would, I would be crewed up, but I'm thinking to myself, this, this work should be done by a local production company. And so it's grown so much that you're starting to see now that, uh, that the local community is starting to realize there's some talented people here Mm -hmm. and we don't need to get the guys from Atlanta or LA or New York to get us a, a quality product. And it's, it's really neat to see the growth.
0: Well, and even you know, five years ago, from that first meet and greet that I went to for Emerald Coast Film Group, it's even grown since then. And like oh, you yeah. said, having Vivid Bridge and uh, and with Chris Jodala and other groups that I've seen grow, especially over the last, I think, two years, especially has just been awesome. Uh, I think that also factors into uh, finding locations for your film too. Is that don't be afraid to you know use your resources whether it's people you know from the Emerald Coast film group or people you might know, you know outside of it, because that also branches out into the um, kind of getting over your anxieties because the, the house we used for the Parker Syndrome, there were two friends of mine that I had known for a long time. But I, I even had anxiety of saying, hey, can me and like 15 other people invade your house for a day? And as soon as I mentioned, you know, I just simply asked, would you mind if I use your house for my film? They instantly said yes with no questions asked which i th- was a lot for me because it was like you're not even going to ask like how long we're going to be there, what we're doing. So don't
1: and, I, and i've shot in uh, businesses locally too, where we just go in and say, "Hey, we've got this short film. We need a location that your place is good for and we'll be here for x number of hours." And a lot of times they say, "Yeah, sure."
2: And uh, the other piece of advice that i have for anybody who maybe doesn't have that skill set and there's like, no way I can't talk to people. It's just, a, it's a big thing for me. Um, you just, you find that person who can and become really good friends with them. And if they believe in your project, then maybe they can handle that aspect of it. But finding locations, you know, and that's when I remember I had an intern that was getting ready to shoot her short film. Cause that's part of their internship. And she came in and I said, here's a list of people that you need to call. And she said, uh, I gotta call people. I can't text them or email. You know, and I was like, "This is a skill you have to have in this industry. Even if you're an editor, you're gonna have to get on the phone sooner or later to talk to somebody." The voice but,
0: conversation is always better.
2: Yeah, it, it, is. it is, and yeah. it's gonna be uh, a lot more efficient in certain uh, uh, scenarios. But yeah, um, getting out there, especially locations, finding locations, finding cast, finding crew. Um, and being realistic about your expectations because uh, you may have a script. That's one of the things that I, when I read scripts, I go, this is going to be very ambitious. Um, are we, are we going to be able to pull this off? And so those are the things that we have to be sometimes realistic about and either change a script or find a way to get it done. Mm-hmm. But you have to be realistic about no budget films.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things, getting back to, you know, kind of calling people, is doing film production. It's a lot more than just the creative. You know, that's why you have the producers that walk away with the best picture Oscars. They put in all the work to make the creativity happen. Yes. And if you can pair yourself, if you're a creative person, if you can partner up with someone who is a producer type, meaning, Good with logistics, good with budgets, good with communicating with people, good with organization. Who still loves movies but may not necessarily have the skills to stand there and tell actors what to do. Um, you're you're better off, and it, it's really nice when you have someone like that that you can partner with if you if you are a creative type. Um, but the thing is that there are so many different jobs in film production that you know right now it's it's almost expected that filmmakers know how to do everything you know how to shoot you know how to light you know how to edit you know how to do sound and there's to some degree there's specialization also that if you know okay i've got a short film and i i have to have these positions filled go out there and find out who can do that and find someone who is good at Running sound, for instance, and bring them on board and say, hey, you know, what can I do for you to have you work for me?
0: No, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, as far as so, like, you know, the script is done. You've casted your actors. You've got your locations. You've got your crew narrowed down. Then we have the actual shooting process, principal photography. Uh, can you guys go through some of your experiences and some things that you might have learned that. You could tell people, you know, possibly to watch out for that might be doing it for the first time. Well, again,
1: be organized. Um, make sure that you know what your shot list is. So, you as a as a director, you come in and you have a vision and you have the script, but know what you're shooting. You know, plot out. Okay, I've got 15 shots to do today. How long is this going to take? How many different setups do I have? Can I? light in one direction, you know, kind of a block lighting thing, and get all the shots from that angle before moving on to a different angle that we have to set up lights differently. Um, Can we group everything in one location together? And in this, a lot of this comes into the pre-production, like we talked about earlier. Get it all set up in advance so when you show up on set, you have the shooting list and your shot list and the order that you're going to be shooting in and everybody's on the same page as far as the master plan going into it.
2: I think uh, the more you do in pre-production, the more you prepare, the less anxiety you're going to have on the day of the shoot because, you you know, you've kind of covered it all. And I think the biggest part is trying to anticipate what could potentially go wrong. Something will go wrong. It, oh, something it always, always does. goes wrong, yeah. <laughs> all the time. It's not, it's not if, it's when. It's uh, how do you handle that when it does go wrong. And so when you start talking about locations, you know, do you have permission? Do you have access? What, what are the logistical differences between a day I scouted it on a Wednesday afternoon and a Saturday morning when there's more traffic, more people? Could there be an event going on? Could there be um, a problem with permissions on the weekend? Things like that
1: the sound conditions (laughs) we were, we were filming a short film one time where we needed an empty street. And there, there was a uh, series of roads out behind the university. That was perfect. It was out in the middle of nowhere, no traffic. And we're shooting on a Saturday. And the day that we're shooting, it was nonstop traffic through there. People were driving by honking their horns at us and yelling out at us. Somehow we ended up shooting, around the sound, but it became very difficult because of the situation that was present the day that we were shooting that wasn't there when we scouted it. So there's always going to be situations like that that come up.
2: And if you know all your departments and you kind of visualize, visualize the day as it's going to happen, we're going to show up on set, what's the weather going to be like? Are we going to be outside? Are we going to be inside? Uh, What are the challenges for each department, if you're outside and it's hot, what's the challenge for wardrobe? Am I going to see sweat stings all over the place? That's one department. What's the challenge for makeup? Are they going to be sweating all the time? And is, does that fit into the script, that they're sweating all the time? You're
1: talking about my film, right? <laughs> I think you in your film it was okay. Um,
2: it just depends on, on your creative. Same thing, sound. What are the challenges with sound? Um, talk with them. You know, what, what What can they wear? What can't they wear? And if you've decided on costumes, you you kind of let them in on an information. And you say, hey, sound guy, this is what they're wearing. Is that going to be a challenge, getting a mic on them? So every department, cinematography as well, hey, we've, we wanted to shoot this way. Well, what's it going to be like that morning? Is it going to be different? You know, where's the sun going to be? Where's your power outlets? Are we going
1: to have rain?
2: Yeah. I mean, those are, those are all things that you, and having a plan B, we shot uh, a huge campaign for Fort Walton beach medical center. Um, We had five commercials that we needed to shoot in five days. And I had planned, uh, they were all outside locations and I had a backup inside location for every single one.
1: That's called having a cover set.
0: Yeah.
2: And you, you have to, because it was a large crew. There's a lot of money and, and we just we could not just cancel. So even even one that was a, a tennis court, a patient a successful patient surgery, she was playing tennis on a tennis court. I actually found somebody who had their own indoor tennis court at their home. and I asked permission if we could shoot there as a backup location. So these are all the things that the more you plan beforehand, the less surprises that it could potentially come up. Uh, same thing with props. So it really, it comes down to, and unfortunately, most of the people who are writing the scripts are also producing. If you can find somebody to help you produce, that is huge. Because if you're directing and producing, that is a lot. It's a lot to, to keep track of, especially on the day of the shoot. Because your your primary job as a director is to get on the day of the shoot, is to get those performances the way you want them. to To really fine tune everything. And if you're worried about, oh, we didn't get the catering order right, or this guy was supposed to bring this prop and he forgot it, then you're producing and you're worried about that and you're not focusing on the performances. And Something's going to give.
1: And when I did survey, um, I was not able to get someone to come on board as a producer. So I ended up having to produce and direct. And I swore I'd never do that again for that very reason. Um, all through the pre-production, I was worrying about logistics. Now, I was fortunate enough to have um, creative people that were in charge of different departments that were doing their jobs, specifically wardrobe, props, and the fight coordinator was, was working with the actors quite a bit for rehearsals. I was able to have some time to work with the actors in pre-production to rehearse performance. And I was so glad I was able to do that because they came on the set fully prepared. But it's still, you know, I think, Kevin, I think we, we got together like a week before with my massive shot list that was like, yeah, you know, what do we do with this? And I felt woefully unprepared as a director. As a producer, everything was all set. But I felt like I was spending more time with the logistics, especially since a week before it looked like we were going to get rained out. And I was scrambling trying to figure out what the backup plan was. And it's, it's very stressful. So, uh, and I, I repeat what Kevin just said, as far as if you are a director, if you can pair up with a producer who can worry about all that and let you focus on directing, focus on, you know, where the camera is going to be, where the actors are going to be getting that performance, getting all the creative elements put together. And that's your focus then you're going to have a much better time, and and everybody's going to have a better time, and the film is going to be a better product at the end.
0: Well, I think to go off on the something will go wrong at some point, I think you should also, one, have a backup plan for everything, and two, be willing to be flexible. Because the biggest example that I can think of is day one of when we were shooting the Parker Syndrome. We had the schedule laid out. But the difference between shooting in December as opposed to shooting in, like, the summer is the sun sets a lot earlier in December. So we had to move some things around because where the scenes took place outside. So we had to shoot that before the rest of the interior so we didn't lose daylight. So don't be so wound up on, no, it has to go this certain way because you have to be open to things aren't going to go exactly the way you want. Oh, you have
1: it. to be flexible. Absolutely. And, I mean, you have the plan. You also have a plan B yes, (laughs) and sometimes a plan C and but the flexibility definitely helps. And just just like your shot list, you know, you might have storyboards and everything all laid out and exactly perfect. You know, you might come in like Hitchcock did where the film was made in pre-production and all you had to do was just shoot what was already planned and and, and you have the film. Um, But then on set, you realize, oh, wow, here's a great picture. If we if we get this framing here and get this shot, that could help the film a lot. or as you're filming, you realize, you know what? this shot covered these three shots that I had planned. I don't need to do those. and And so if you have that, you know you have a game, game plan, but be flexible enough to know when to modify that.
0: Yeah, no I totally agree with that. It's
2: funny because I there's this documentary, I think on uh, Steven Spielberg.
1: Which I have not yet seen, which it's on my agenda. To watch it.
2: Spoiler alert. <laughs> so one of the things that they, I guess on Saving Private Ryan, if I recall correctly, was that they were supposed to build a set in a certain direction so the sun would hit it, you know, just right for the lighting. And they didn't do that. They built it the wrong way. And his fix was basically, we're going to shoot this through the uh, scope of the rifle. And there's one scene in there where it's shot through the scope of the rifle. And it was just, it's an opportunity to be creative. It's not the time to melt down and go, oh crap, that's it, we're done. It's a time to kind of sit there and go, how, how can I make this work with the story, with the challenges that I've been presented? Uh, same thing with Jaws, where he, he, was, he even had self-admitted that he was writing some of the script on set as he was going. Uh, so you could imagine the stress that he was under his first big film that they gave him budget, but the one thing he didn't calculate for was mechanical sharks in salt water, which obviously you're going to have. Anybody who owns a boat knows things are going to go wrong. So a lot of the uh, things that he did was basically he had, he had a lot of scenes where you didn't see the shark. You had elements that were being pulled or drawn through the water, and when he saw that in post, he realized, wow, that, that creates a whole nother level of tension because that's if you think about anybody who has fear of creatures in the water, I think the number one thing is you can't see them, right? right? You hear that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I'll swim in clear water, but anything that's murky, no way. Yeah, so true. I don't know what's down there. So he realized, wow, this created some incredible tension. So there, there is an opportunity there for you to take challenges and turn them into creative uh, vision where it enhances the story maybe even better than what you had in- initially intended to do.
0: That's what I was going to say is sometimes the ideas you come up with due to those circumstances can sometimes be better than your original idea anyway. And there's plenty of amazing accidental shots.
1: Yeah, <laughs> my, my favorite uh, Spielberg story actually is from Empire of the Sun. Uh, a 13-year-old Christian Bale was the star of it. And the climax of the movie, uh, the kid is standing up on top of a roof and watching uh, American uh planes come by and bomb a Japanese outpost. And they had these airplanes flying by Christian Bale standing there and the bombs fell. It was a one take shot because they could only do it the one time. And he was supposed to jump up and down with joy. And when the cameras were rolling and the planes flew by, the bombs fell. Christian Bale stood there dazed and did not react. And, spielberg apparently was not happy with that (laughs) and but he realized you know what that's a genuine reaction and so he got a reverse shot of christian bale standing there looking dazed and then he reacted by jumping up what he was supposed to do in that in that master shot but it actually worked better that way because it was a genuine reaction and sometimes things like that happen on set now obviously you know with what we're doing it's much much smaller scale but there are always opportunities to take what happens in reality and go, you know what, that actually might work better than what, um, what I had planned.
2: Yeah. I mean, and you know, uh, when we shot survey, you know, he had all the stuff and I'm like, yeah, Steve, let's shoot it. Let's shoot it. Let's shoot it. Let's shoot it. And then we get towards the end where we're shooting from the, from the woods and it's kind of like this, um, a two shot going out into the daylight and it was an amazing shot. And he wanted to shoot a reverse and, and I said, Steve, that's not gonna that's gonna look like hell, you know? And oh, no, I don't wanna shoot it, I wanna shoot it. I said, All right, I'm put the camera over there. And and of course put the camera over there. He's like, Yeah, I don't like this <laughs> <laughs> And um and, and so it was one of those uh, opportunities to say, you know, just to say, Hey Steve and of course he was flexible enough to realize that that this was a, a kind of a magical shot. It really was. And oh, and it's
1: I, my fa- one of my favorite shots in the movie. <laughs> yeah,
2: and so so when I saw that and I saw, wow, this looks really good. It looked great on my DP reel, you know? <laughs> I kind of fought him on it. I'm like, no way in hell are we moving from this well, spot. You well, know? <laughs> and, and that
1: gets to another aspect of filmmaking is... Listen to the experts. If you surround yourself with people who know what they're doing, because, you know, you as a director, you don't know everything. You know, you have a vision, but it doesn't mean that you have to be an expert at everything. But you bring people in who do know what they're doing. I mean, I had LaVon French who did amazing costumes. She won an award for, for the costume work that she did on the film. And, you know, she was able to kind of take a little genesis of this idea and run with it, and I looked at it and go, yeah. Yeah. That, that's great. You know, I wasn't telling, I, I kind of told her what the vision was that I had and gave her certain parameters. And then she worked within those parameters and came up with, with some just phenomenal costumes. But the same thing with working with Kevin, you know, I knew that I could trust him to get me the lighting, get me the shots that, you know, I had planned out but I could still be flexible enough to go okay Kevin what do you think and there were times where it was like Kevin help because I don't know
0: what I'm doing here.
2: <laughs> well it's interesting because I've, I've I belong to some cinematographers forums and and the discussion was uh now post-production uh with raw and all that it, it, color correction has become part of cinematography and there's some old school very well-known DPs that have gone to an extent of actually using filters while they shoot to prevent a colorist from changing their work. Um, so, but one of the things that I've seen is that some of the DPs have had experiences where directors were so adamant about a look that the end look did not look great. Mm-hmm. And those DPs went back and said, take take my name off the credits. Wow, to that extent so so yeah when you when you direct it's a it's a fine balance of making sure that your vision is is accomplished but at the same time understanding that if you have skilled people underneath you they're skilled for a reason and you have to kind of defer to them once in a while and say you know what what they're what they're offering is better than than what i have to offer for this particular instance so i think it'll make my film better and and just go with it
0: What's the learning experience?
1: Well, in film is a collaborative art. And I do say the word art because it, even though there's crafts that are involved within skills, it is an art form ultimately, but it's a collaborative art form. And even though there's the auteur theory where the director is the one who is the author of the movie, okay. But you have all these people here who are contributing to it, including the director of photography, who is ultimately responsible for what is being shot. Uh, you have your production designer, art director who is responsible for the overall look of the sets and what is being shot. And you have your costume people and the makeup people, the special effects, and you know, and of course, the actors. And your sound designers. And when you have a good sound designer, the the sound can create an entire world, that enhances what's being shot. And, you know, I mean, I worked for months and months and months on the sound for serving and Derek, you worked on it also. So the two of us collaborating on that, and, and Kevin, I think you contributed to the sound as well. So, you know, when you have multiple people here that are trying to work towards that common goal, yeah, the director kind of has that vision and is the captain of the ship, but you're dependent on so many different people who have the skills and the abilities that you don't necessarily have. And you have to defer sometimes to what they say.
0: No, I agree with that.
2: And be nice. Yes. Be nice. Rule number one. Yes. If, uh, (laughs) you know, um, I don't think there's any room in the industry to be belligerent and uh, demeaning to somebody, especially in front of uh, other people, even on paid shoots. But to take it to the extreme is when you ask all these people to work for you um, for free, two things, be nice and feed them. Those are the two things. <laughs> it doesn't have to be filet mignon. You know, it could be yeah. pizza. That's a, That's a cliche um Short film lunch is a pizza or subs. This is one of those two things, and that's fine. To me, it's survival food. But the least that you can do to show your appreciation is, one, be nice, and two, you know,
1: feed them a meal. Oh, I've got a story. I'm sure I've shared this before, but um, back in the day, shortly after I I graduated from film school, um, a person that I knew from film school, a friend of mine, uh, had a feature film that he was trying to get off the ground. And we spent a lot of time discussing it. And he finally asked me if I could come in and be the producer of it. So mid-20s, recent graduate, I'm producing a feature film using his money. Okay, so he was funding everything. And we put together um, a full crew, 30 people, full cast. And we were out in a park in downtown Orlando and it was magical. First day of production, it's like, wow, this is great. The one thing though is the, the co-producer I had on board and I told him we need to make sure that we feed people properly. And he said, no, no, don't worry. I've got that covered. I'll take care of the food. Like you as the director, you're gonna take care of it. Well, again, he was using his credit cards to pay for stuff. So I figured, okay, well, whatever. I I guess you have some something planned. We showed up the first day on set and he brought out a bowl of cold spaghetti with olive oil in it. Really? That was lunch for the entire cast and crew. Wow. (laughs) And he nearly had a mutiny on his hands the first day. Understandable. And we pulled him aside and said, okay, (laughs) you need to feed everybody really well. And kind of getting back to the uh, be nice part of it, um, the same gentleman, and and of course I'm not going to say what his name is, um, he showed up on set an hour after everybody else was there, didn't speak to anybody, grabbed his cast, walked across somewhere else, rehearsed with them. When he was finished, he came back, everything was set up, and he said, okay, we're going, and just completely ignored the entire crew that was there. And they were working on what's called deferred payment, which basically means they were working for free. And um, at the end of the day, he called, that's a wrap, and he took his actors and went to discuss with them and didn't say a word to anybody else. And we had a little discussion with him also about you need to be there. The first, you know, you be on set before anybody else. And you're the last one to leave. And you greet every single person who comes on set and thank them for being there. And at the end of the day, you thank everybody before you leave, before you dismiss them. Was this a passion project? Um, yeah, he, the, the feature I ended up, uh, leaving partway through it, uh, for other reasons. And, um, uh, they were shooting at 16 millimeter and apparently not. Um, I don't know. They, they lost some of the film <laughs> somewhere along the way. So it was never finished, but he ended up uh, cutting it as a short and uh, it got out there as a short film. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a passion project, but it was just the, but the lesson learned was, you know, and I'm sure that he, you know, moved on from this was feed people well, because especially if they're not working for money if you feed them, they're going to be happy. If you don't feed them, they're going to be miserable and they're not going to be wanting to participate. Um, and if you're not nice to them, they're not going to last very long.
2: No, and, and, and uh, feature films, I I give credit to anybody who's ever done one, uh, no matter how good or bad it is, because it, it's an undertaking. And I admire anybody who's who's willing to take that on. Uh, that said, my advice to anybody trying to get to that level, or at least that's their goal, is to eventually do a feature film, do a few short films, mm, get at least definitely. five or six short films under your belt, um, at least one that's you know a three or four day shoot to kind of give you an idea of what it's going to take because uh, feature films, it's quite the undertaking. And well,
1: it's a grind. I mean, when when you're working twelve hour days. And you have, I mean, just two two days in a row. You want to sleep for a week afterwards. And if you're there for doing twelve-hour days five days a week for five or six weeks, you know you're you're going to be burned out, and the whole crew is going to be burned out. It's very easy to to overdo it, and and unfortunately, when you're shooting low-budget films, you know you have a lot of stress, and you're you know you're you're moving very fast, generally speaking, and it's. it can be very stressful to everybody.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And I guess my stance is that, you know, when you're doing a short film, like say you're doing just even a two-day shoot, you're there all day from eight in the morning till probably eight, nine o'clock at night. Why would you want to spend that amount of time being miserable and making other people miserable?
1: Well, you know, Robert Zemeckis had a quote uh, where he said, someone asked him, oh, isn't it fun making a movie? And he said, it's fun watching a movie. (laughs) (laughs) yeah now i don't necessarily take that stance that the making of the film is not fun i enjoy it even even the times where i'm you know stressed or you know having a meltdown or whatever um it's still there's a joy that's that's part of the process and if you're not experiencing that joy then you need to be doing something else quite frankly um because it 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 is fun you know it's uh you know, to to sit there and watch actors bring to life characters that you've written, there there's really something special about that, and there's a magic there. And um, to be able to see on the monitor what's being shot and see the nice lighting and nice camera angles, and you know, hear the the voices come over the headphones that you're listening to. There is a magic quality about that. It's only when you get into post-production, start editing, you <laughs> realize, oh no, this is all falling apart. But hopefully, it, it comes together though. <laughs> That's
0: actually a very good segue because next let's uh, let's go into post-production. So, do we your, have to? <laughs> 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 yes. So your film is shot, and now you move on to post-production. Which now I've I've learned is quite more extensive than what I had initially thought because it's not just editing the picture, but you're also editing the audio. You're adding in the proper, you know, music, sound effects, color correction. Uh, talk about some of your experiences with that. Well, well
1: first off, people uh, generally underestimate the time that it takes for post-production and that, that's when they're budgeting out their time and money. That's what usually gets the short share uh, um, I don't know what the term is, but the the uh, the short We're end of the stick. Just short end of the stick. Thank you. Um, and so once you do it, then you have an understanding. In fact, I've always said anybody on set really needs to have their hands in editing something at some point. Simply because if they know what the process is putting the film together at the end, that will help them on set understand what the process is, what they're going through, what why they're shooting, what they're shooting. And if they don't understand that, sometimes it makes it difficult. To, Why are we doing this? Why are we getting this shot here? Why am I doing it? Because it will make sense in post-production when you're editing it. And they, they may not have that vision or that experience to understand that.
2: The so, one thing I will say to anybody wanting to do a short film or any kind of film or any kind of project is make sure you have your post-production secured. If there's anywhere a project will die, it's going to be post-production. And that's because you're asking one person to sit in front of a computer for hours and hours on end, editing a project for free. And so, again, getting back to pre-production, post-production, they're kind of the same animal. You know, the actual production is very social. Everybody's shaking hands, having a good time, cracking jokes. They're still working hard. But it's, it's a fun environment, and you might be exhausted at the end of the day, but you, you would have had a, a good experience if it's a, if it's a good crew and a, a good director that, that understands that it is what it is. Um, but getting somebody to volunteer their time for post-production is a whole other level of commitment. So you have to make sure that that person is available and that they're committed because uh, if you don't have that relationship with them, where you understand that if you're committed, they are committed, you could easily lose that person. And if you're not a techie person, and if you are not don't know anything about editing, there goes all that hard work you put in because you put your trust in one person to finish your project. And so I highly, highly encourage people to either absolutely 100% make sure that the person who's doing posts is committed or they learn how to edit themselves. Uh, it may not be great, but you may be able to get somebody a lot easier to polish your rough cut than it is for them to take it on from scratch, especially if it's an ambitious project. So that's just the one thing I gotta say: is that make sure you have post secured.
1: Editors are storytellers. You know they they have to have a technical skill, but ultimately that's where the film gets molded and is made is in post-production. You can provide all these beautiful shots, but if they don't cut together, you don't have a movie. And, you know, so part of the process is on set when you're shooting, if you like certain takes in your paperwork that the script supervisor is, is, is logging, they circle the takes that the director likes. And, then presumably you're going to be reviewing those shots and say, yeah, these, you know, I like this take, I like this take and providing those notes to the editor. But to some degree, you know, here again, it's a collaborative process where you, you as a director have a vision, but you're bringing on board someone who is also a storyteller and is taking the raw material that you're providing and putting into their hands to tell that story. Sometimes you may disagree with the choices that are made um, and that's where you have to start, you know, where communication comes in to discuss, okay, I, I really like this. This is really what I want to go for or putting the trust in that person to go, you know, let's see what you can come up with because that other person may surprise you and come up with a different um, sequence of, of cuts that you didn't anticipate that could work better. And so it's it's a collaborative thing.
0: Yeah, I think when you have someone like that who is skilled at editing and that's what they do, it's good to have that other set of eyes to look at your always, project to always. see to see something that you may not have even seen originally that ends up working a lot better.
1: You know, and just just for the pacing alone, you know, you, you could have, well, you know. You, Robert Zemeckis, again, let's use, use him as an example. Uh, in the film Contact, he had this elaborate one shot, you know, this oneer that, that he did for this party scene. And the camera was roving all over the place and catching different actions at different times. He was also smart enough to get coverage because he didn't know if it was going to work. In editing, his editor said, Yeah, that shot doesn't work. And the pacing needs to be quicker and it just needs to be tightened up. And so he was able to use these other shots that Zemeckis made in order to cut in to tighten up the edit a lot. And that scene works better because of the editing and that contribution from his editor.
2: And it's it's going to change from director to director. You know, some directors are like, nope, this is the way I want it. This is the way it's going to be. And rightfully so, they get all the credit, but they also get all the blame. You know, they're up there winning the Oscar, but if it flops... You know, it's all about them. So, um, they, you know, and you have the the broad spectrum. They may come in and say, this is the way I'm going to do it. They may come in and say, Hey, here you go, editor, show me your skills. Or they may sit in with the editor and and say, okay, look, I really love what you're doing here and we're going to keep most of it. But on this shot here, I want this. And, And it truly becomes a collaborative, um, and all flavors have had success I think when you talk about short films, uh, passion projects, it, you know, you really have to walk that fine line of um, dictating what you want because you don't want to be overbearing. Uh, it just depend, depends on the editor too. If the editor is very polished and experienced and uh, wants to make it their own, you have to you have to handle that delicately and say. I really like what you're doing here, but uh, here's what I was thinking and and hope that you guys can come to kind of a happy medium as to how it's going to come out. Um, But at the end of the day, most crew members who are in this industry understand that it is the director's film. It's their project. It's their vision. Whether they wrote it or whether they just got hired to direct, you always have to defer to them. You may not like the choices that they're making, But if you don't like being in that position, then you shouldn't be doing what you're doing and you should just become a director. That's the way I look at it. Uh, I do a lot of gaffing. So I work with DPs. My job is to let them know what I have for lighting, let them know how I think it's going to, the, the, uh, tools we have are going to work. And I get DPs that are, Hey, I want it here. I want it this bright one. That's a done. And that's great. I go in and do that. And I got some DPs that'll come and say, what do you got? What do you think? And I'll say, we got this, this, and this. And at the end of the day it falls on them. So if they say, no, I don't like that. I'm okay with it. I'm just, I'm an overpaid magic eight ball. That's what is the way I call it. They just shake that eight ball. and Okay. Oh yeah. Does that work? <laughs> All right. We'll do that. Um, and I'm okay with that because it, they're the ones that, that live and die with that image. You know, nobody gaffers don't get Oscars. (laughs) (laughs) They don't. Uh, We're we're just a part of the crew that helps the DP. And the same thing with all the other crew members to the director. They're there to defer to him at the end of the day because
0: he lives and dies by that project. No, that's that's absolutely true. So as we start to wrap up, I've got two more questions I want to ask. First, I always like to ask this of any production person. Just off the top of your head, what is one funny onset story that you guys like to tell people?
1: Okay. Um, when I was a film student, I was shooting my thesis film. And we were, surprise, surprise, shooting in the woods. And we, it was the woods out behind uh, the University of Central Florida. And there, there was like a trail that led off a parking lot. And we, we were out there maybe quarter mile, half a mile out. And there was this really nice tree that I really liked. And the the characters were supposed to walk up to this tree and look at it. And my first AD forgot something in his car. So he had to go back and get it. So as we're there, and the camera's pointing down the trail. Well, there, it was really sandy. And the sand was bright white. So we took a bunch of just dead branches and piled up maybe about three feet high Um, in the distance to cover up this white sand. So it didn't really have this bright spot in the picture. Well, as we're rehearsing the shot, you know, the camera's pointing down the trail. Here comes a car driving down the woods. And I thought maybe it was my first AD not wanting to walk back. So we're watching it and it drives into the pile of dead branches and stops. Car door opens and this guy steps out wearing a pith helmet and he pulls out this giant butterfly net. And we're all just like, "What? W- this is surreal. <laughs> what is going on here? And he starts walking into the woods carrying this butterfly net. And so I called out, uh, excuse me, sir. I don't know if you realize, but we're filming a movie here and you're just parked right in our shot. Would you be able to move your car behind that tree over there? And he grumbled and got in his car and moved the car and as he was walking away he was he mumbled very very loudly so we could hear that he had $2000 worth of equipment damaged in the woods because of people what that had to do with us out in the woods shooting a movie. I don't know, but just, you don't expect someone to drive in with a car in the middle of the woods and get out with a butterfly
0: net. So yeah.
2: should have started rolling.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I like, we got to get this.
0: Nice post credit scene. Kevin.
2: um, I think probably for Walton beach medical center. We were shooting this scene um, where one of their patients was a farmer and we kind of wanted the, the uh, creative director really liked vintage cars. And I had made some phone calls trying to find one. And I'm just driving, I'm driving to scout the location and my daughter in the back and I'm driving through Shalimar and I see this old Chevy vintage pickup truck. And I just, I make a U-turn and I pull up next to the guy and I'm like, Hey, you know, uh, is that your truck? It's like, yeah. He says, you, would you mind if we use it for a commercial? He goes, no, not at all. So we pull over, we talk. And uh, he happens to be like a teacher at uh, Choctaw. Super, super nice guy. He was very cooperative. He brought the, the vehicle up to Baker. Well, the creative director was a real vintage truck buff. Mm-hmm. So we're getting set up for this shot where this patient's supposed to be driving in the car with his dog. You know, it's the old cliche farmer with the old truck and the dog. And so we're getting set up, and the, the creative director comes up to me. He says, man, I'm going to take it for a spin. And I said, all right. But this thing's really old, so just be careful. So this is road and it's not not a lot going on because it's farmland and we're setting up. And I see him go down all the road and then turn because the road turned to the right. He comes back from that curve and doesn't turn with the road. He kind of goes off into this uh, dirt road and I'm like, what's going on? Something's not right. So I'm like, all right, we'll see when he gets back here. So I see him back up. And now he's driving towards us down the road, and he's going really, really slow. And as he drives by us, he rolls down his window. He says, I have no brakes. (laughs) (laughs) So so a bunch of us went, (laughs) grip department, electric department. Everybody just went over there and grabbed this truck and slowed it down. And that was one of those instances where now we don't have a driving shot. So I I got with the – I said, all right, listen – You know, we're going to have the car parked at the gate and we'll start off with this shot where you see the brake lights and they come off like he just pulled his foot off of it. And then he's going to walk out of his car and he's going to open the gate and we'll get this shot, you know, of the dog just sitting there waiting for the the owner to open the gate. And it worked out well. You know, he loved that. But that was one of those instances where you go, okay, we can't have talent driving a
0: car with no brakes. (laughs) We got to figure something out. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. So I've waited to tell this story on a podcast for a while. This was not technically on set for Servi. <laughs> uh, Steve, I think you know which story I'm going to tell. So I was in the middle of the sound edit, and Steve messaged me and said, how would you feel about doing Foley? <laughs> I was like, sure. I mean, if, that's, if you think it'll work, I mean, absolutely. And like, I knew what Foley was, but I'd never done it before. And I wish I had set up a camera because... That evening, Steve and I were in his front yard, me with my boom pole and my Zoom, and him running around his front yard, running stationary and like a pile of gravel and a pile of leaves. And it, it was just a really hilarious. Rolling visual. on the ground. Rolling on the ground. Yeah, that too. Beating a uh, melon to the pulp <laughs> with a baseball bat. Was was there a guy with the butterfly net? <laughs> Maybe. I.
1: They may I, have showed
0: up after the neighbors called. <laughs> That reminds me. I think I still owe you a melon. Or is, is the statute of limitations passed? No, on you? It,
1: it, it sacrificed itself okay. for the films. So. That got awkward real quick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. So as we wrap up, uh, do you guys have want to plug any of your um, any of your films, any of your work, so the listeners can check it out? Well, uh, we just um,
2: we uh, teens Blackburn. You know, it was kind of pushing me to do this 100-hour film uh, festival where you basically, at some point, you get a, uh, I believe it's a theme, a prop, and an action or something like that. You get three three uh, things that have to be in your film, and then the clock starts, and you got to produce, uh, you know, you got to write it, produce it, shoot it, and edit it, and submit it within 100 hours, which is like roughly four days. And um, uh, Nick Smith directed it. And it was uh, seventy-five entries, uh, fifteen finalists, and we end up getting best film. Uh, teens Blackburn, uh, Blackburn uh, won best supporting actress, and the, the lead won best actor. Uh, Ricky Jordan, the second. And it was one of those things that uh, it all came together. You know, it came together nicely. We were able to uh, again kind of get creative with our scenes because there's a lot of flashback scenes that were going to happen and we were supposed to do those in different locations. And I said, guys, we don't have time for that. Let's just do the flashbacks against the white and and kind of, you know, give it this dreamlike look. And uh, so very proud of that. I think everybody was uh, very pleasantly surprised. And so uh, there was some prize money involved and I believe uh, they're going to put it on Amazon Prime. So it's awesome. kind of a neat thing for everybody. Nice. That's really cool. Community. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Well, you know, we've talked a lot about survey. Uh, it's the short film that, that I've done. Oh, shoot. It's been two years since we've actually That's produced crazy to it. think about it's crazy, but it, over the last year and a half, it's, um, really done very successful in film festivals. It's got, it, um, accepted into 22 film festivals internationally. Uh, it's won seven awards, including one from Canada and one from Ireland. Uh, been nominated for another six and uh, it's still we're still waiting for a few more festivals to uh, to determine whether it's going to be shown or not Um, and once that kind of finishes its run uh, we're looking at trying to maybe putting it on amazon or dust which is a watchdust.com which is uh, for short films that are science fiction fantasy based i also like to try my hand at this um, contest that's coming up for uh, to do a, a film under eight minutes. That's one continuous take. And uh, <laughs> Kevin shaking his head. <laughs> no, I think
2: somebody, I think it was teens that was
0: talking about Then I was like, I, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and also I'm putting together a package for a feature film right now.
0: Fantastic. Well guys, thank you so much for taking the time to do the podcast. It was a lot of fun. Well, thank you for having us. Thanks again to Steve and Kevin for that awesome roundtable. We'll definitely have to have both of them back on for another film roundtable very, very soon. But coming up on next week's show, I'll be chatting with producer Ted Haddock about the film Long Time Coming, which is a documentary film about the first interracial Little League game ever played. And one of those teams is from my hometown, Pensacola, Florida. So we talk about that, the making of the film, all the research that went into it. Really fun, really powerful story. I can't wait for you guys to hear that show next week. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you can find podcast. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can also follow the show on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And as always, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night drive Through" and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Fan, which is available on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to Steve and Kevin. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. And be sure to come back next week for my fun chat with producer Ted Haddock. <laughs>